Welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. Today's sermon is called True Worship and it focuses on Mark chapter 2. We hope you enjoy the sermon. God bless. The Lord be with you. And also with you. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. Chapter 2, beginning at the 13th verse. Glory Glory to you, you, Lord Lord Jesus Jesus Christ. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat? with tax collectors and sinners. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. For the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day, they will fast. No one sews a patch on an unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he was in his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abatha, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, 
which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, friends, as we get into our sermon, please pray for me as I pray for you. Loving Lord God, we thank you that we can come together today to worship you in spirit and in truth. And as we think about what it is to be your people, we pray that you would give us hearts to perceive what you have to say to us and lives ready to apply it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, friends, to begin our sermon this morning, I want to show you a picture of four pictures. Um, Four pictures, and I want you to guess what they all have in common. Whoa, gee. Yep. All right, so we've got, we've got a, a picture of a man with his hands up. He's looking pretty excited. Um, we've got a, a picture of a, a boyfriend looking at his girlfriend. He's obviously about to play the harp for her. Uh, we've got a picture of a sports fan, just really, really excited. And we've got a picture of Beatles mania. Beatles mania. So my question for you is, what do all these pictures have in common? Worship. Absolutely. Got it in one. Yeah. All these people are worshippers. All these people are worshipping something and someone. And when I first looked at our Bible reading this morning, I thought, oh my goodness, there's so much disparity in these stories. There's fasting. There's talking about bridegrooms, Levi's uh, turning his life around. We're talking about the Sabbath. All of these strings of teaching, what do they have in common? And after a little bit of thinking, I realized they're all about worship. So today we're going to see three skirmishes that Jesus has, and they all point us back to our true purpose in life, to what life's all about, true worship. We're going to see a skirmish at Levi's place. We're going to see a skirmish about fasting. And we're going to see a skirmish about the Sabbath. So let's look at the first skirmish, a skirmish at Levi's place. And if you've got your Bibles, which I hope you do, I encourage you to find Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Where it says, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now, so far in Mark, Jesus has called respectable folk to follow him. Uh, We've seen him call four disciples, and all of them were fishermen. Now, fishermen weren't very well educated, and they weren't considered religious. Fishing wasn't considered a religious job, and so um, they were strange disciples to be called. But they were reasonably well-respected folk. In many ways, Jesus calling Levi is similar to their stories. He walks up to a person, literally minding their own business, says, follow me, and they follow him. So Levi is following this pattern. But 
Having called so many fishermen, pardon the pun, but Levi is a totally different kettle of fish. Why? Because he's a tax collector. Tax collectors made money by charging their own rates on top of Roman taxes. If the Romans wanted 10%, tax collectors would charge an extra 5% or whatever they could get away with. Tax collectors were so despised by their own people that Jewish law books gave them the same social status as thieves, murderers, gamblers, moneylenders, the violent, shepherds, um, and funnily enough, I, I find this hilarious, uh, people who, raised, uh, who raced doves for sport. <laughs> Don't know what was so wrong with uh, the dove races. Um, but it was, actually, it was actually legal to lie to a tax collector because a tax collector was seen as a Roman mole, basically. But Jesus walks up to this despised tax collector And whether it's the power of Jesus' persuasion or Levi's frustration with his job, Levi gets up, leaves everything behind, and follows Jesus. Now, it's a bit bit funny because uh, Jesus sort of says, um, follow me to your place. He sort of invites himself (laughs) to Levi's house. And in the next verses, we see that Jesus is having a party at Levi's place. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? While Levi's sinner friends are happy Levi's found God, the Pharisees aren't so chuffed. Now, the Pharisees were a renewal movement um, inside Judaism. They were ordinary people. They weren't priests or special religious people. They were just ordinary, ordinary pe- lay people. Um, but they, they would, initially, they were a group of people who were like, okay, religion has gone too far away from God. Let's go back and and study the Bible fastidiously. Let's pray three times a day. Let's not work on Saturdays because the Bible forbids that. And crucially, let's avoid the people who are sinful because they'll contaminate us. Do you see how what started out as a renewal movement, a renewal movement of true worship, all of a sudden became an exclusive club? The rule books were often written by the Pharisees. And even though they made up only 1% of the population, at first they were respected. But then they began to be feared. Now, a lot of Jesus' teachings aligned with the Pharisees. So it's possible that they thought that Jesus was on their team. But in these skirmishes, we'll see that Jesus' view of worship was crucially different. In trying to be pure, many Pharisees have begun to worship themselves and stopped worshipping God and had started worshipping man-made laws. They began to think that God hated everyone outside of their group. And in trying to gain ritual purity, they were excluding people from God's presence. They were saying, you can't worship God. 
because you don't belong to us. Now, worship is how we relate to the thing we most value in life. The Pharisees had become so obsessed by their own regulations that when Levi turns his life over to God, they can't even be happy for him. And in response, Jesus says these words, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, it may seem like Jesus is commending the Pharisees. He's saying, you guys are healthy and this guy is sick. But instead, think about it. Who is truly sick here? The people who are enjoying Jesus' presence at this party or the Pharisees who are in a huff because of the company Jesus keeps. Jesus is showing us that if we're so caught up in our own moral perfection that we can't see our own need for God, then we're in deep trouble. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sick. But God can't help us if we don't think we need him. This is a warning for Christians that if we get too comfortable in our own selves, we'll forget how much we need Jesus and we'll miss out on true worship. This leads us to the second skirmish, which is about fasting. In verse 18, we read that some people came up and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Here, notice it's not the Pharisees hassling Jesus, but it's everyday people. They come to him and ask him why his followers don't worship in the same way that other religious people do. The three pillars of Judaism at the time were prayer, praying three times a day, um, almsgiving, which was giving 10% of all you had to the poor, and then fasting. Now, Old Testament law only prescribed fasting on one day of the year, the Day of Atonement. The Pharisees took this to a new level by not eating every week on Monday and Thursday. John the Baptist's disciples, they took it to another level. They would go into the wilderness and they would not eat for, for weeks sometimes, possibly because uh, John ate locusts and wild honey. <laughs> Perhaps they were like, oh, okay, if that's the only food we've got, no thanks. Um, but they also did this because they loved God and they wanted to focus on God by taking their focus off food. Their physical hunger was supposed to remind them of their need for God. But sadly, this ritual of fasting had become a, a religious chest-beating exercise. Look how long I can go without food. How good and godly am I? And notice the focus is not on God. It's on me. The people question Jesus' closeness to God simply because the disciples aren't fasting like others. It's here again Jesus exposes their misunderstanding of worship. It's not about how much food you don't eat. It's about how focused you are on God. Jesus says as much in uh, verse 19, and I haven't got that on the screen, uh, which is why we should all bring our Bibles to church. <laughs> uh, verse 19 says, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? 
They cannot so long as they have him with him. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And on that day, they will fast. Now in Jewish culture, there was one day where you could not fast. There was one period of time where fasting was basically forbidden. It didn't matter if it was a Monday or a Thursday. It didn't matter if you're a Pharisee or John the Baptist himself. You could not fast during a wedding. Weddings were week-long parties of drinking and eating and dancing and enjoying yourself. It was ridiculous for someone to fast during a wedding. And so Jesus is saying, guys, I'm here. I'm the bridegroom. The wedding party is on. I'm only going to be with you for three years. I'm only going to be with you for three more years. And then one day, the bridegroom will be taken away from you. Then my disciples will fast. Jesus is foretelling. He's prophesying about his future. He's saying one day, the bridegroom will be taken away from the party. One day, I will be taken away by force. And I will be hung on a Roman cross. And the bridegroom will be crucified. Then my disciples fast. But sadly, people are so obsessed by fasting that again, they've taken their eyes off God. Jesus comes into the world as God in person and the people judge him and question him because he isn't doing what they expect him to do. Friends, again, this is a danger for all of us, whether you're a Christian or not. Too often, God can be speaking to us. God can be staring us right in the face and we miss him because we're so distracted by things that don't matter. Our lives are so busy and there's so much pressure on us to be certain things and to do certain things that the voice of God is drowned out in all the noise. In this skirmish, Jesus talks about... um, sewing um, a a new piece of cloth um, on an old piece of cloth to patch up a garment. Now, I'm not a sewer, um, but if you have sewed, you'll know that if you put new, brand new cloth on an old garment uh, and then you wash it, all of a sudden it'll rip. You need to put old cloth on an old garment so that they will gel. And he also talks about putting uh, new wine into old wineskins. Wineskins at the time were made of leather, And so if you chucked new wine in, it would ferment, um, and the the gas from the fermenting wine would burst the old wineskins. So he says you need to put new wine into new wineskins. You need to think new thoughts. You need to be fresh. You need to be expansive. In your worship, don't become so haggard and tired. And don't fill up your life so much that when God is right in front of you, you miss out. Friends, I know, I know I've been sitting in church and I've just been, I've been thinking, my mind has been in another place. I've been at home trying to pray and all I can think about are my week's tasks. I know that as a kid, um, growing up, people would invite me along to church and I'd say, oh, I've, I've got swimming training or oh, I've got to watch um, this movie or oh, I've got computer games to play. I missed out. I missed out on a life of worshipping Jesus. 
because I was too busy and there was too much noise in my life. Jesus here is reminding us that ignoring him is like ignoring a bride or groom on their wedding day. Perhaps you've been to a wedding where someone is just so embittered or someone is so caught up in family politics that they can't enjoy a wedding, they can't focus on the bride or groom because they're so focused on themselves. Jesus is saying, come and join the party. Come and be part of what I'm doing amongst my people. And this brings us to our final skirmish. Um, It concerns the Sabbath, which is probably the hardest thing for 21st century people to wrap our heads around because shops um, are basically open 24-7 today. Perhaps some of you can remember the day when there was no Saturday and Sunday trading. If you, if you can, yeah. Okay, there's... Whoa. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long ago, yeah. Um, I remember when we first arrived in Toowoomba, all shops were closed on Sunday. This is because in the beginning of the Bible, God creates the world in six days and then rests on the Sabbath. God then commands the sixth day day to be a a day of worship. Sorry, the seventh day to be a day of worship. The Sabbath was a good and gracious gift, a day of rest, a time to reflect and recover, a day to remind us that we're not robots, we are made in his image. I um, take Tuesdays off. Tuesday is my Sabbath day because on Sunday I work. Um, It's a very busy day. But It's sometimes the best day of my week because it's a day to rest and recover. The Sabbath is a good gift. But sadly, in Jesus' day, people had turned the idea of Sabbath into a curse rather than a blessing. In Mark 2, again, we see the Pharisees chipping Jesus for his disciples' behavior. Um, In uh, Mark 2, verse 23, we read that one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. Seems harmless enough. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? At the time, farmers would leave 10% of their fields for the poor. So it was perfectly legal for the disciples to be eating this grain. What upsets the Pharisees is that they're picking it on the Sabbath. They would consider this work. Now, the Pharisees called all sorts of non-work things work on the Sabbath. Setting a broken hand was banned on the Sabbath. Imagine breaking your hand and someone saying, oh, can't do that, can't help you out. Oh, it's the Sabbath. My hand is broken. Writing more than one letter was considered work on the Sabbath. If a roof caved in on a house, you were permitted to remove the rubble to find the survivors but you couldn't remove the rubble or fix the roof on the Sabbath. Here again, the problem isn't rule-breaking. Rather, the problem is false worship. In verse uh, 25 and 26, Jesus out-bibles the Pharisees. He grabs his Bible and he says, Look, there's an example in the Bible where King David, the guy who beat Goliath, who, who led all of Israel back to worship God, Um, he encouraged his men to eat the special Sabbath bread in the temple while they were escaping from an enemy. Jesus is saying, again, something important about himself. He's saying, I'm just as important, if not more so, than King David. And I have an authority that is greater than his. 
If the king's men didn't dishonor God by eating consecrated bread on that day, then my disciples aren't doing anything wrong by eating wheat on this day. Notice again how when Jesus is confronted by false worship, he brings his listeners back to the truth of God's word and ultimately back to God himself. His response to false religion isn't to give up on religion altogether. He doesn't say, well, let's just do whatever we want. Instead, Jesus points us back to true religion, true worship. The solution to false religion is not less religion. Instead, it's more. Instead, it's a truer and more faithful commitment to God. In the final verse of our passage, we read Jesus saying, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You see what he's saying? He's saying the Sabbath was a gift from God to help his people thrive. If you're working seven days a week, friend, then I encourage you to rethink it. We're not robots. We're made in the image of God. And studies have shown that if you take a day off a week just to rest and recover your mind, you actually become a more happy, more fulfilled, and a more effective and efficient person. The law was never meant to be a straitjacket, but a set of wings to help God's people soar. I love that reading in Isaiah that Dell read. Those who rest on the Lord will run and never grow weary. They will walk and never grow faint. They will rise up on wings like eagles. Jesus wraps up by saying the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now the Son of Man was like a code word for God's Savior King in the Old Testament. Jesus uses it of of himself 12 times in Mark's Gospel. As if to say to us, hey guys, I'm God in person. I'm here to save the world. It's me. I'm the Son of Man. Jesus is once again pointing us back to the very purpose and heart of worship. God. And so, friends, in these three skirmishes, we see how they fit together to remind us that a life lived to the full is a life worshipping God. The people Jesus meets are so worried about their social status, about their own judgmentalism, and about their regulations that they miss out on God, even though he is right in front of them. Perhaps you've met a person who says, well, if God just showed up right in front of me, I'd believe in him. The Bible here is showing us that that's not true. God did exactly that, and people missed out because they were too busy, too self-righteous, and too focused on themselves. Friends, this is because worship isn't just about something we do on Sunday or about a genre of music. Worship is a posture of the heart. It's how we live in relation to the most important reality in our lives. We're all tempted every day to take our hearts off God and focus them on something else. Not necessarily bad things, but things that are not God. That's why worship isn't just about a one-off decision to follow God. It's about daily skirmishes to reorientate our lives around God. Worshipping God is about making thousands of everyday decisions in light of the simple truth that God is the most important 
part of my life. As we do this, Jesus, our great physician, heals our hearts. As we do this, Jesus, our bridegroom, helps us to find joy and hope in life. And as we do this, Jesus shows us true Sabbath rest and gives our hearts all they truly desire. God. Let's pray. Loving Lord God, we thank and praise you for your goodness and grace to us. We thank you that you are the only one who can fill our hearts and lives. We pray for Ken and and Julie and um, pray that you would bless them right now. We pray that you would help us to honour you and live in true worship. In Jesus' name, amen.